Welcome to Simply Finance, the podcast series designed to educate Australia on simply everything finance. Welcome back to Simply Finance, brought to you by Positive Group, and welcome to Season 2. Now, we're changing things up a bit this season and focusing on the history of finance, banking, and money in Australia and across the globe. Now, to join me on this journey, I'm also joined by my good friend, Julian Richards. Julian, thanks so much for joining me, mate. Matt, happy to be here. Great to be on this season. Now, as I mentioned, Julian, this season we're going to change things up a little bit and, in fact, go back into the history books and looking into some of the major events that have changed the way we look at finance. And now today we're talking about one of the biggest financial events of the modern era and one of the most interesting stories, the GFC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the GFC, where do we start and finish with that one? The um, great financial crisis of um, 2008. So let's crack into it, Matt. Let's get uh, talking about it. Well, 2008 was a pretty big year. I'm not sure what you were up to at the time, but we had Kevin Rudd delivers his formal apology to the stolen generation. We had Barack Obama became president of the USA. And I remember SpaceX had the world's first privately developed space launch with Falcon 1 made to orbit. But as you said, it was also a huge year uh, for finance where the world was hit by the largest international bank crisis at the time, the GFC. Now, uh, were you in Australia at the time the GFC hit or where were you located at the time? No, I wasn't actually, Matt. Uh, so I was working in Asia. I was um, posted out in Asia working in communications from uh, just before the GFC hit, actually. So maybe early early to mid-2008, and I only came back to Australia um, last year in 2019. So um, I did get a bit of a different perspective on the whole thing. I was going to say being overseas at the time definitely would have probably experienced a little bit more or a little bit differently, perhaps, than what we experienced here in Australia. And um, at the time, I was actually working at a bank. So I guess I got to sort of see a, a different level of it as well. But we'll get into, I guess, the history of the GFC and what I guess caused it and what started it. Because, I mean, it was 12 years ago now. At the time, I was in my early 20s. I probably didn't know a lot about what was going on. I just knew that there was a lot of fear across the world about what was potentially going to happen when it came to the GFC. Now, uh, it was mainly caused, I guess, over in the United States. And what was basically happening, uh, the banks were taking excessive risk when it came to lending money to a lot of different customers. But in particular, people like low-income earners, people that potentially had uh, cash jobs, uh, potentially people that couldn't even pay mortgages, were getting them. I mean, banks could literally just give you a mortgage for a mansion and uh, would hope that you'd kind of pay it. So all these people on low incomes were basically getting these really expensive houses. And uh, I guess at the time they could pay them back, but the worry was what would happen when they couldn't? And that's exactly what happened. So there was this huge housing crash. People could no longer afford to, or perhaps even wanted to pay for large mortgages for devalued homes. And it had this major impact on the US banks and the lenders. Now, if something like this were to happen in Australia, the banks would usually be protected and it would be the homeowners in general that were impacted. But the lending structure at the time in the US didn't have those same protections, and the homeowners could basically pass that bad debt back to the lender. Absolutely, mate. Unreal how it works over there. It's a totally different world. I don't know if you've ever heard about the infamous Jingle Mail, which was one uh, fascinating story that I found when I was researching this topic. Um, Basically, that was the the jingle of keys being posted in letterboxes. So, you know, these people who owed hundreds of thousands of dollars on their properties, which were worth literally a couple of thousand dollars, sometimes even a couple of hundred dollars. They'd walk out of their property, throw the keys in the 
in the mailbox, the, the, the letterbox out the front and just pack up and, and, and move away. And then the banks would uh, send people out, send their staff out to come via the letterboxes, pick up the keys which are inside and they'd have their house back and be stuck with it. I mean, that's the thing is that a bank then gets what is an asset, which I guess when they originally lent out the money, let's say it was worth maybe half a million dollars. Now they've now got this asset, which is only worth a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, that is obviously going to hit them hard. And I guess that was probably one of the major causes of, uh, of the GFC, right? Yeah, it was. Absolutely. I mean, it was just the, the insane selling and, and, and buying of the property bubble and lending, you know, without looking at consequences or without realizing the consequences. Um, Many of the times when in Detroit, which was one of the, the hardest hit areas, uh, you could buy houses, literally buy houses for a couple of thousand bucks. I think one of the most infamous stories was the house that could have been sold for a dollar. But unfortunately, you always uh, think of, well, you could just go there with $10, get 10 mansions, wait 10 years, and you're a multimillionaire. But unfortunately, it wasn't that simple. And there are stories of people from all around the world, from uh, India, the UK, Australia, and um, all sorts trying to actually buy these super ch- amazingly cheap houses, but unfortunately it didn't work like that. There were a lot of um, conditions that had to be met to be able to buy one. They, banks couldn't sell a, a three-bedroom house to a seven-year-old with a, a dollar pocket money you know, in his hand, for example. It didn't quite work like that. Pretty sure as a young 22-year-old, I decided to head on to the real estate websites in the US and just check out what was available. And I, I definitely was keen to pick something up if I could, but unfortunately, as you said, didn't work out that way. There were definitely some overseas restrictions in regards to foreign investors. But uh, I mean, that was obviously a, a major cause of the GFC. There were, there were several other causes, but that was, I guess, probably one of the main ones. So I guess that covers partly why it started, but I'd love to maybe talk about the first signs of the fall. Now, the first signs for me, I guess, were seen in early 2007 with the fall of a company called New Century Financial. Now, back in 2016, this company was second only to HSBC Finance in issuing subprime mortgages. So a huge company, right? But by 2007, due to, I guess, in part, loans slowing down, they fell into a major death spiral. They ceased trading on the New York Stock Exchange and only a few months later in April, filed for bankruptcy. And then, of course, the big one that most people remember is Lehman Brothers, which soon after in September also followed and filed for bankruptcy. Now, that was after the US officials decided to not bail it out. That would then become the largest and highest profile casualty of the global credit crisis. I mean, we still talk about Lehman Brothers to this day. They were this huge, huge behemoth of a company that just completely collapsed. And the government, unfortunately, they had to let them go, I guess. And following that, you know, we had places like Chrysler, they filed for bankruptcy, General Motors. I know you're a big car fan, so that would have had a lot of fear, I guess, to you and the auto industry. Absolutely. I mean, what, what was going to be next? Japan and, and, and Europe and I guess, you know, down the track, even Holden, uh, you know, ceased to exist perhaps because of this massive financial meltdown. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I guess it's really difficult for us to know how much all of this stuff that happened in 2008 has impacted the world today. I mean, we can look at these gigantic companies that were hit at the very time and that is pretty easy to bullet point. But the first signs in Australia... I guess we were sort of fortunate. We didn't really get hit hugely over in Australia. Obviously, I remember at the bank, there was definitely worries. There was talk and there were definitely people that were lining up at ATMs trying to get their cash out. But I guess we didn't really get hit as hard as the States, did we? No, we always managed to uh, be on the lucky side here in Australia. And it kind of happens a world away, as people like to always say, off in North America and uh, 
those kind of places. But um, we still did get hit and there was a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt. And I think our exports are probably one of the big things that we hit, I guess, because the world was panicking a little bit. And uh, I think it was 2009, we had a 11.6% loss in our exports, which was the first fall we've had since 1965. Uh, now, of course, Australia then suffered huge losses because of that, because other, com- uh, other countries just couldn't afford to buy our resources anymore. I mean, China, for example, uh, they previously imported huge amounts of raw materials, for their massive, massive projects. But because these projects stopped becoming big, they stopped doing them, uh, completely made us struggle for a little while there. Now, with the global financial crisis in full swing, of course, this uh, dropped off and then caused our mining companies to cut jobs, scale back, and I guess stop exporting products. So, I mean, you were away at the time, so I guess you may not have seen this so much, but the Australian government reaction uh, I don't know if you've researched much into this, but I think most people would kind of say at the time, Kevin Rudd, who was our prime minister, did a pretty good job of, uh, of fixing this problem. Do you, did you hear any of it at the time? Well, I mean, I only heard about his schools. So the famous Rudd Halls, or they've got several names, but I think the actual name was um, Building the Education Revolution or BER as he uh, labelled it. And, you know, Every single school, all 9,540 of them in Australia, so that's from uh, kindergarten to year 12, uh, they all received funding for halls or new staff or fencing or sports equipment or science labs and all that kind of stuff. So that was really the, uh, the first knee-jerk government reaction that I was aware of. I don't know if it was the first one, but it was definitely one of them. So you can still kind of see those today if you uh, visit a school, if you've got any, you know, someone attending school, you can still see those uh, RUD uh, enhancements. I think definitely one of my favourite enhancements was this uh, cash bonus that the government did at the time. Now, I think it was around $13 billion or so they invested into these cash bonuses. Now, every Australian was earning at the time under $80,000, which I was included in, we received 900 bucks. Now that was to stimulate the economy. And it, I think it definitely worked because I went out there and I think I bought a new TV. Uh, and that's uh, probably what most people I think did with the money at the time. And, uh, you know, not only, I guess, were the Australians happy with getting that extra cash, but I think most people probably agree in hindsight that what Rudd and uh, Wayne Swan, who was a treasurer at the time, did was the right decision and it dramatically softened the blow. And we didn't, I guess, really feel so much uh, of the GFC in Australia. Uh, that's absolutely right, man. I think that's what put a smile on most people's faces, seeing an instant 900 bucks in their account um, and hearing about this giant storm over in America. Well, it didn't turn out to be that bad at all. In fact, there's more of a bit of a, a sugar coating on the whole thing. But, um, but tell us, Matt, so going back to Australians, what, what really was the impact on Australians? Yes, as we sort of said, there wasn't as much of an impact, but there still was an impact. I mean, there was obviously export losses, but there were also job losses, uh, far less than other countries. But we did lose jobs at the time. Uh, I think even at the time, I remember the bank that I was working for, we were in the process of looking to do a lot of offshoring. And from memory, that actually kind of upped a little bit in this process as well. We actually sent a few of these jobs overseas because the banks were just worried. They wanted to make sure that they were cost cutting. They were saving money as much as they possibly could. And uh, I think that worked because at the time you'll find most Australian banks, in fact, I think all of them were profitable during the entire GFC. In some cases, they didn't even need government cash injections, which is crazy. Now, at the time, so many customers 
So at the time, so many customers were trying to take funds from their accounts though, right? As they were worried that banks might start to fail and they wanted cash in hand rather than just some money on a screen. Now, there were a lot of banks that even started to stop at the time large withdrawals of cash. And I have heard a rumor that one of the big, I don't know, maybe the top five or six banks in Australia, they were at a point at one, one moment where they only had around four or five days worth left of cash to actually survive upon. So they really were really worried and it was so close for them to be in a little bit of trouble and not actually having money to return to their customers. Just, I guess, due to the panic that people were having of trying to take cash out. Now, I don't know if it was happening overseas where you were, but there were people lining up at the front of ATMs and I'm sure there were ATMs across the country running low or out of money. Yeah, that's right. It must have been absolutely mind-boggling and kind of cast reflections back to those video images of the, the Great Depression and, and beyond World War II and that kind of stuff, just unheard of and unseen in Australia for generations. Well, I guess that's the thing. This was the biggest crash since the Global Depression. And, you know, I guess maybe now we're going through something very similar, obviously caused by something very different, but definitely it was a massive, massive impact. Now, Australia in itself wasn't immune. We did have a slow on our economic growth. Uh, it was around 0.5% or so during the GFC, which meant uh, obviously our economy only increased by that 0.5% rather than previously multiple percentage points uh, over the previous years. Uh, unemployment, as I said, I think rose by around 2% or so, which, which was far lower than many other countries. Um, so I guess you could kind of say Australia shrugged off the worst. So uh, I think overall we're pretty happy with how the government and how uh, the Australian people coped with it, right? No, I think so. I think so. The, the Aussie dollar, that did get impact. One of the lowest uh, it got to was about a 30% loss. Um, but it fortunately, it quickly recovered um, in, I think, in March 2009. So as the GFC hit in late 2008, really evident in Australia, or the FUD was evident in Australia, you know, the Aussie dollar did take a hit. Um, but again, it showed its strength by, by bouncing back um, within a couple of months, which was uh, much to everyone's relief, and especially the government's relief at the time. Well, I guess we're lucky that we got through it uh, for a variety of different reasons. But in the States, it took them a little bit longer. Uh, they obviously went through far more struggles than we did. What are the lessons, though, that we learned through all of this? I mean, Australia has to learn lessons, I guess, but the States definitely learned lessons. Uh, I don't know, since then, both the US and Australia have put really strong banking regulations in place uh, to protect us from this happening again. Uh, I know if you now were to try to get a loan in the States, it's much tougher than what it would have been back in the day. And they're not just handing out mortgages to anyone that wants to put their hand up. Um, and of course, there was also the, the federal government inuated a stimulus package, uh, as we spoke about earlier. So I guess most people agree that those measures were able to help put us through this path of recovery that we've now, I guess, been through. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And, I, you know, before the um, GFC came along, banks were lending up to up to and over 100% of um, property values, so the LVR, in other words. Um, but now, of course, that's been much stricter con controls put in place. Um, the belt's been tightened and now it's only up to 80% or with insurance, uh, I believe it can go up to 95%. So that's still evident today. It's still a bit of an aftermath um, existing in Australia today if, you, if you're planning on buying a house. It's crazy, isn't it? Because I think even at the time they did some research into it all and they'd found that many Australians had actually been issued credit up to six times their annual income. Now, I mean, that is a large portion of money to be given to people that potentially if something were to go wrong, 
they're not going to be able to pay that back. So I think that definitely added a lot of further fear and uncertainty. And then I guess forced not only the government, but the banks to tighten up on these lending policies and to restrict, I guess, lending in the future. But as we've said previously, we were very lucky. Australia, out of the developed countries around the world, was one of only four to avoid recession during the GFC. Now, that is pretty amazing when you think about it. And the others on that list were Israel, Poland, and uh, South Korea, I think it was. So we're uh, amidst a few big names, but there are a lot of big names missing from that list. So we're very, very fortunate. Now, we're also lucky, I guess, that following the GFC, there was a continued demand for many of our Aussie raw materials. So that was completely crucial to us getting out of the GFC on the right way. So I think overall, we were pretty smart uh, with the government changes we made, but also perhaps a little bit lucky. Uh, Luck was on our side as well. Absolutely, Matt. Yeah, Australia just, uh, we really, well, some people say we got out of it by the skin of our teeth, but it doesn't seem that way. Australia was pretty strong. We were in a pretty good position should the GFC come along. So, yeah, as you said, luck was on our side. But, um, Matt, can it happen again? Well, it's a good question because you mentioned, you know, if it were to come again. And I don't know if the same style of GFC could happen again. I mean, obviously, we're experiencing kind of a, a recession of sorts right now where it's getting to that level with with COVID currently going through and impacting our financial services and lending. But is it as bad as it was in the GFC? I guess we're going to find that in a few years' time if it is. But I think when it comes to mortgages in the States, this similar situation can't happen again. They've definitely gotten tighter with their restrictions. Uh, their lending policies are far tighter now. So I definitely think that when it comes to mortgages, not going to happen again. But one of the things I found in my research is I thought was really interesting. Uh, there's an issue that I think most people can sort of see in student loans because a lot of uh, obviously financial services provide loans to students over in the States. Now, what is happening with these loans? Not only are the people that are getting these loans getting money to cover, you know, the learning in their courses themselves, but also they cost a living over the years of actually getting this training and this course education as well. So these loans are monstrous. Like these are huge loans. Now, student loans in the States can't be defaulted. So whereas here they could, in, they, in the States they actually can't. So theoretically, I guess, the student in each of these cases, I guess is considered maybe the asset. So if something goes wrong, if they don't get the job they're after, if perhaps unemployment really rises in the States, these students who have finished their courses, gone on to try to find work, won't have work, won't be able to pay their loans. And what are the banks going to do? I mean, they're young students that don't have assets and they are considered, I guess, the asset. What happens? And I mean, that's going to be really, really interesting. And I think there's definitely going to have to be some sort of tighter restrictions or changes in the future, because I think that potentially has a little bit of a danger element to it. Absolutely, Matt. You know, luckily, it's not the same in Australia. Um, although we are invested in our in our future and in our education, of course. But um, thank God for programs like HEX, where it does have quite a bit of leeway. Um, but uh, I mean, we're not in the same position as the US, thank God. And uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And I think if something were to happen, it potentially might not impact us as well. I guess you do have to consider, I guess, all uh, economies across the world are separate in ways. So you would hope that if something were to happen again elsewhere, we wouldn't be impacted and our government could take action and protect ourselves like they did really well through the GFC. And I guess the best thing about that all is we have learned a lot of really, really strong lessons. 
And you see maybe some of those lessons are coming through right now when it comes to things like JobKeeper and JobSeeker and so many business grants going at the moment. Potentially in 10 years time, we'll be looking back at COVID, looking about how Scott Morrison did at this time and go, you know what, we did okay. So here is hoping in 10 years time, we don't look back at this in the same way we are looking back in the US potentially during the GFC. Absolutely, Matt. So I think we've now covered probably most things when it comes to the GFC in Australia, but uh, there's so many more to learn, especially about how overseas and the states were impacted. Julian, if there's somewhere you'd recommend to go to find out more about the GFC, where would you say? Well, Matt, first stop would be uh, the big short classic film about the GFC, and it really sums everything up. It's got Christian Bale, Steve Carell, even Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling in it, so a lot of big names. Um, and it follows the story of Michael Burry, I believe his name is, uh, who was an investment banker back in the uh, mid-2000s and bet against the US housing market, unheard of at the time, and obviously made a huge profit about it. So put that on your list. It's a fantastic film, but also that list of cast. I mean, if there's going to be a GFC, potentially it might be in the film industry because, I mean, how can they afford that lineup of actors and characters in that show? Incredible. But I think that'll do for us today, mate. It's been a lot of fun chatting and I look forward to having you join me next week where we chat even further, I guess, into the history of finance in Australia and across the world. Matt, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Simply Finance, brought to you by Positive Lending Solutions. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can find both myself, Matt Tarrant, and Julian Richards across LinkedIn and all social media platforms, as well as Positive Lending Solutions via the Positive Group LinkedIn and Facebook page. And be sure to tune in next time where we discuss the history of mining within Australia. We look forward to joining you then. All of the ideas and advice discussed in this podcast is of a general nature only. Always consult a financial expert like the ones at Positive Lending Solutions before applying for credit or making a financial decision.